0: we've seen in the last few studies in Habakkuk is that Habakkuk is a prophet at this pivotal inflection point in the life of the people of Israel. So the, the, the best king that Judah has ever had, Josiah, other than David himself, um, has just left uh, the throne by way of dying at the age of 39. He had brought people the people of God to a point of renewal, to a point of uh, revival, to the point of true worship. And he died in 609 BC and his grandfather Manasseh had been a wicked king and God had promised uh, judgment upon the nation of Judah for that sin. And God says, you know, Josiah was a great king, but but you still are going to be undergoing my discipline and my judgment through exile. And so that, that exile begins under the nation of Babylon um, in 605 BC through 586 BC and um, Hezek, or, excuse me, Habakkuk is ministering at um, this pivotal time between the death of Josiah and the beginning of the end of Judah as as they knew it, and so he is a person who is is leaning into this season on behalf of the people of God. And whereas most prophets are those who speak and get a message from God, the the Lord Yahweh, and deliver it to the people, Habakkuk is a person who is delivering. Um, a message from the people to God. He's interceding for the people. He's mediating for the people. We saw he prays to the God. Why is this happening? How long will this continue? And God's answer was this difficult response of, you think it's bad now? It's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm going to bring the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, as judgment upon you. And and so this is this is where Habakkuk finds himself with this answer from God that is just unbelievably difficult uh, to, to, to accept and he comes to God now in faith a second time and he's going to bring before the Lord the, the the intercession of the people a second time in Habakkuk 1 12 through 17 and I'm going to read this passage and we'll pray and then we'll, we'll we'll get in there's a lot of good stuff I can't wait to get into from this passage father um oh first I'm going to read it uh are you not from eternity Lord Yahweh my God my holy one you will not die Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you can't tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler, The Chaldeans pull them all up with a hook. You catch them in their dragnet and gather them in their fishing net. And this is why they are glad and rejoice. This is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things, their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? Father, I ask that you would speak to us now by your word. Um, Thank you for... Uh, the, the incarnate word Christ and the written word of the scripture. And I pray your spirit would give us understanding and insight and know how to respond when it seems like your character and your conduct are in conflict. In Jesus' name, amen. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, this afternoon. We're going to be talking about what do we do, how do we respond when God's character and conduct seem to conflict. What do we do when... Who God is and who we know God is and who God has shown himself to be and what God is doing in our lives and in the world don't seem to be lining up. Sort of like the old Bruce Lee movies um, where it was originally uh, filmed in Cantonese and then it's dubbed over in English and the, the character's lips are moving but the words don't match up with, with what he's saying. And it seems to be that that seems to be how, how things are happening in the life of Habakkuk and the life of the people of Israel, that the words of God and the character of God and the, the actions and the conduct of God don't seem to be lining up um, in in sync like, the, like they should be. Um, this, this, uh, this is the tension that Habakkuk is experiencing – and uh, last time we saw that God's answer is hard to accept. And this, this time we're seeing how to respond when God's character and conduct seem to conflict. When there seems to be this tension between who God is or who, and who God says he is and who God has revealed himself to be and who as Christians we believe that God is and what God is doing on the other hand. What God is saying and what God, how God is responding and the actions um, and, and the character of God on the one hand, and the conduct of God on the other hand. Notice here, that just as, a, as sort of a preface, that Habakkuk is continuing to faithfully protest what's happening. He's not, he's not just ending with that first response from the Lord in verses 5 through 11. He's, he's responding again. He's bringing his, interse- his, his prayer and his petition and his intercession and his lament and his complaint and his questions to God yet again. Um, and, and what we see here is that this is an act of faith to 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 come to God go to God yet again with with our questions our concerns and our complaints because God's final word is not going to be judgment and Babylon and exile and captivity we're going to see that through this through this intercession that Habakkuk is going to move from a place of despair and a place of doubt to a place of delight and a place of hope and um, and just as God's final word is not judgment and Babylon for his people, God's final word for us in Christ is not the wilderness season that we're in. God's final word to us is not um, the financial problems that are that are coming upon us because of the, the economic collapse around the coronavirus. That, that God's final word for us is not uh, the discouragement and the frustration and the sort of uh, maybe spinning wheels that we feel that 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 God's final word to us is not the season of the wilderness, but the final word to us is a word of hope and destiny and destination. Um. Uh, sorry, I'm getting uh, text messages. Um, stop texting me, everyone. Um, this season of the wilderness um is not the final season. The, the that we are promised a land, a fulfillment, and a hope, a destiny, a destination. And that destination is the final fulfillment of God's promises and purposes. Uh, With our church yesterday, we talked about how God's uh, preparing through this uh, momentary light affliction an eternal weight of glory. So notice how Habakkuk responds here in verse 12. Are you not from eternity, Lord my God? My Holy One, you will not die. So what he what he's doing here is he's appealing to God's character. And if you know the Old Testament, you see there the word Lord there is not just all lowercase, it's uppercase, where we we know that's the Hebrew name Yahweh. So he's he's appealing to the name and the character of Yahweh before questioning his conduct. Notice what he says, he says, You're from eternity. You're holy and you will not die. So there's at least three things there that Habakkuk is talking about in terms of the character of God. He's talking about the eternity of God. That, that God's character is constant from beginning to end. That he's, he's talking about the fact that, that God is not within time. He is outside of time. That God is he, Habakkuk is talking about the fact that God's nature is not changing or changeable. That the circumstances of life don't change who God is. So he's saying, God, you're from eternity. Lord, my God. He says, my holy one, that God is holy, um, that, that God is, is pure and without sin, that he knows that the character of God has, has without shadow or, or shifting due to change, as it says in James 1, 17, that God is, is holy, unchanging, eternal. And then he says, "You will not die." Some some translations, uh, some versions say that it it says, "We, we will not die," um, and uh, it, I think I think the, the CSB um, is helpful when it says that it says, "You will not die." So he's referring to the the eternal life of God. Um, that God is the Great I Am. This is this is how God revealed Himself to Moses in in Exodus three. And Moses the Lord, who should I say sent me? He says, say to them, I am who I am. Um, that, that God is the one who is, who is unchanging, eternal, unchangeable. He is life, one theologian says, in himself and of himself. Um, that, that, the, the, that God is an eternal, how can God be life? Because God is an eternal trinity. The Father eternally generating the Son and the Father and the Son eternally spirating or breathing out the Spirit. The Father eternally loving the Son and the Son beloveding, being beloved by the Father in the bond of the love, the Spirit between them. The Father eternally seeing His own nature so perfectly that that vision is the eternal person of the Son. It's the mystery of the Trinity. We can't get behind or really comprehend. But this is the nature of what it means for God to be God. He is life in himself and of himself. He is life in his triune nature. One God in three persons. This is the God that Hab- Habakkuk is appealing to. But notice he says you're eternal, you're holy, you're, you're, you're life, you're, you're unchanging, unchangeable. living and unkillable. You will not die and you're holy. Notice though he says, Lord, my God. So this is not an, sometimes we think theology is an abstract sort of distancing of ourselves from the truth of God, but this wasn't what it was for Habakkuk. What Habakkuk does is he acknowledges that the truth that he knows is the faith that he believes, that God is his God, that he has a personal Covenant relationship with this God, and so the, I think there's two things to take from this that that we should be learning and knowing God more deeply we should be exposing ourselves to theological truth we should be reading scripture we should be reading and studying uh, things that tell us who God is um, our church is doing the we believe podcast i 'm doing that brief podcast to help us uh, get a get a grasp of Uh, more deeply about what we believe. We have the resource table that we can't put out while we're not meeting, but um, it it should be, that book, Delight, is a great place to start, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. Learning who God is and then diving more deeply into your fellowship with this God that you're learning and getting to know more deeply. So this is Habakkuk's first first. The first way that he approaches God, he, he approaches God's character and he, he acknowledges and confesses who God is before he questions what God has done or what God is doing. So this, this is where we have to start. We have to start by remembering the character and the name of the God we believe that this is our foundation, this is our hope as Christians. We are people who believe in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are people who believe in the name of the eternal, true, and living God. Notice now what he says. Now at this point, he's in a posture and a place where he can begin to bring his questions to God. He says, Lord, you appointed them, meaning the Babylonians, to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. So, so notice what he's doing here. He's acknowledging God's character. He's also acknowledging God's sovereignty. He's acknowledging that God's work through the Babylonians is God's sovereign prerogative, that, that he is God, that what it means for God to be God is that God is in control of all things that are happening in human history, in kingdoms, in pandemics, that God is the sovereign Lord of all things. That the Babylonians are instruments of God's sovereign intention. That the coronavirus is the instrument of God's sovereign intention. This is this is Habakkuk's foundation. He says, "Lord, you appointed them. You're sovereign, and you are my rock." So, in the midst of all of this, he hasn't lost sight of or or the sense of what's holding him up, and that is that God is his rock. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. A shelter he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And here he, he talks, speaks to Yahweh's intention of judgment and reproof. You destined them to punish us, to purify his people, to, to, to pull out the stuff in his people that is not according to his character and his command. He appeals again in verse 13 to God's character. He says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. You, you're you too pure to look on evil and you can't tolerate longdoing. Now, now, what he's saying there is not that God literally can't look on evil, but that he can't look on evil uh, with an, uh, he can't look on, what he's saying is God can't look on evil with an, approving presence. He can't approve of evil with, with his presence. He says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And he knows that God, the Holy One, and God's holiness and God's purity are not impugned. They're not marred. They're not corrupted by his sovereign action. How does this work together? How can God be sovereign and holy at the same time? This is what Habakkuk is, is wrestling with. So And in light of this, he asks this question in verse 13. Why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up the one who is more righteous than himself? The irony here that Habakkuk is is exploring is that God who can't look at evil is looking at this treachery. How can God who can't look at evil be looking at this evil and allowing this evil? There's this dissonance between who God is and what God is allowing and what God is doing, um, I think Beethoven was one of the first composers to to use dissonance in his in his compositions, where the two notes don't align together and it's it's out of tune um, and it doesn't sound right on its own. But in the course of the symphony, you see that it's moving toward this movement of something that is is beautiful as a whole. How can God be? working in a way that seems to be dissonant with his character. One writer notes that the Lord had declared it wrong for a witness to keep silence when a matter was brought before the public. Yet the Lord himself remained silent when the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than they are. So so is God acting in 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 against his own commands and his own law. Um is is God doing something that he has commanded the people not do. This is what Habakkuk's wrestling with. He says, you can't look at evil, but you're looking at evil. Why is it like this? Lord, why, why, if you're a sovereign and you could stop it, why aren't you stopping it? Why are you not showing yourself strong on behalf of those who are righteous? Um, Notice he says, you're allowing the wicked to swallow up one more righteous than they are. So he's saying, yeah, Israel has sinned. Israel has fallen into sin, but the Babylonians... They're, they're way more sinful than Israel ever thought about being. How can you allow the Babylonians to come in and conquer your people? I know we're messing up. I know we're not getting it right. But, but are you kidding? Like this, is, this isn't even a comparison. Yet you're, you're using the Babylonians. You're calling the Babylonians. This is your purpose? He continues in verse 14. You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans pull them up, with a hook and catch them in their dragnet. They gather them in their fishing net. This is why they are glad and rejoice. Um, so he's saying, he's, he's saying, you're leaving us here like sitting ducks. You've made us like prey for the hunter, exposed us to the terror of Babylon. You've brought us fear and sorrows, but for the wicked one, the Babylonians you're bringing upon us, they're rejoicing. First, the end of verse fifteen. This is why they're glad and rejoice. They're pulling up all of mankind like a like a net. They're like fishing fishermen who are going out and casting their net in the sea. And there's so many fish. The nations and the peoples. They're 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 conquering them and and they're gathering them into their under their imperial power like a fisherman gathers fish into his net. And they're rejoicing and are glad. Um, the Assyrians um had a had a. Uh, a practice of putting a, hit, uh, a hook through the lower lip of their captives. And so they'd hook them together by their lip like this and they would tie everyone together. So what does that mean? It means uh, unless you want to be in a world of pain, you're not going to make any sudden movements. That, that This is the, the, the degrading way they would treat their captives. They would, they would pierce them through the lip and they'd tie all, all of them together and they'd lead them by the lip. And so he's saying that they're, um, one writer says, not just figuratively, but literally carrying on the Assyrian tradition of driving a hook through the sensitive lower lip of their captives and stringing them single file. And yet they're rejoicing and laughing. It continues in verse 16. This is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. This is why they are glad and rejoice. This is why, or excuse me, this is, uh, and by their rich, these things, their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? So so he's, he's, he's coming to this place and he's saying um, that, that the, these people are so wicked and they're worshiping the tools of their wickedness. He said, we're, we're worshiping you, the one true God, and he's worshiping his fishing net and that's figurative. He's, he, they're worshiping the weapons of their warfare, their technology, their power, and they're sacrificing to it. They're worshiping false gods, and yet they're this is cause they're they're getting rich off of this. The, this is why they their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. They live in luxury as as the ESV says. We're the same way, aren't we? We we sacrifice for things that give us luxury and comfort and wealth um and and uh You know, uh, nice places to live and gadgets or hobbies or education or trips. But the Lord's stripping those things away in this season, in some ways, isn't He? One writer notes that in every time and every place, cultures center their life on the most obvious source of their strength and prosperity. Seagoing cultures have sea and storm gods, agricultural cultures have grain gods, hunting cultures center on totems and spirits that control the animals. Technological societies such as our own don't identify, quote-unquote, gods, but elevate and worship values that have led to greater control over their life, wealth, information, and military technology. Habakkuk wants to know how this can be. Why, Why is Babylon prospering by their wickedness? And how can God's purpose be to discipline Israel through this wicked nation? Verse 17. Well, they can therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nation without mercy. This is, uh, Habakkuk is throwing the question back to the Lord. Is this how, is this how it's going to be? One writer notes that Habakkuk has now two alternatives. He can allow his doubts to be either destructive or creative. He can use his doubts, struggles, and agonizing questions to turn from God and to renounce his faith, or he can keep hold on God, trusting him for an answer, what he's saying there is just that old cliche that's so true, and that's why it's a cliche that the same sun that hardens the clay melts the wax, that the same circumstances in the life of a person who is heart is hard toward God will only make them harder. And those same circumstances in the life of a person whose heart is tender toward God will increasingly make them more tender, more in tune, more likely to worship the Lord in faith. So the question for us is, are these circumstances, are we allowing, by God's grace, the circumstances of this season and these tensions to destroy our faith or to create our faith, to cultivate our faith? And I think just by way of just practical connection that there are four responses that we can have when we experience this tension, when it seems like God's character and conduct are in conflict. The first is to know our God. Habakkuk knows his God. One writer says, the God who promised to be with his people as God has been in the past, he will be in the future. The covenant name indicated eternal faithfulness and should elicit confident dependence from those who call on the name of the Lord. Remember, he's not just God, the Lord, the Lord God. He is the Lord Yahweh, my God. He has a personal relationship, a fellowship, a covenant relationship, an intimate fellowship with this God. And like I already said, This should lead to two responses. We should want to get to know our God more deeply. We should be studying the scripture, studying sound teaching, studying theology, getting to know who God truly is, reading things that are sometimes sort of hard to understand because you know what? God is sort of hard to understand because he's God and that when we know him, then if our heart is softened toward him, that we begin to develop a more intimate personal communion and fellowship with him. Do you know God? Is he an abstraction to you or is he truly your covenant, fellowship, hope, and presence? And obviously the only way we experience that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God the Father sent God the Son to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, never sinned against God in what he thought, never sinned against God in what he said, never sinned against God in what he did. He never disobeyed what God said he should do and he never failed to do what God said he should do and he never did what he shouldn't have done, sins of omission, sins of commission, that Jesus Christ was perfectly and completely and fully without sin. And he was the only person who didn't deserve to die. And yet he took up the cross, despising the shame, and was crucified for the sins of his people. He bore the sin of his people on the cross of Calvary. And when it was finished, he said, It is finished that God had put the sins of his people on him, the sins of the world upon him, and he bore those sins so that we would be forgiven as he was buried and raised from the dead, that as we repent of that, our sin, and trust in that work of Christ for us in the person of Christ, that we are forgiven our sin, given eternal life, communion and fellowship with God. And this is the God we have the privilege of knowing. Know your God. Make sure that you know your God and that he is in fact your God. The second response in times of tension when God's character and conflict, conduct seem to conflict is to pray in faith. We noted again that, that Habakkuk again comes to the Lord in prayer. For Who knows how many times Habakkuk had come to the Lord. And in the first section, Habakkuk 1, 2 through 4, he finally gets an answer in verses 5 through 11. But the answer wasn't what he wanted, but he still kept praying in faith. That even our questions, even our doubts, when we bring those things to the Lord, that is, if we're doing it in faith, it is an act of faith. As we already said, I said, you know, one of the themes of this study is that God already knows what's in your heart. You might as well bring it to him and bring it out in the open and say, God, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to deal with this junk. Help me. Know your God, pray in faith. Third, protest your circumstances in faith. Protest your circumstances in faith. Jesus prayed, Not my will, but thy will be done. But he also said, If there is any way, let the cup pass from me. So it's okay to ask God for things. It's okay to ask God to change things. It doesn't, it's not a lack of faith to ask God to change your circumstance, but it is a lack of faith to demand and not accept his answer. Trust God, but protest. Say, God, I want, I want things to be different in this area of my life. Will you do that for me? And then you wait and say, not my will, but your will be done. Know your God, pray in faith, protest your circumstances in faith. And then finally, number four, and I I talked about this with our church yesterday on the Zoom call. Recognize God's purposes and return to him. Why is God doing this? Because he wants you back. He wants your heart. Hosea 6, 1 through 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. He is going. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Let this season turn your heart back to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word that you inspired through the prophet Habakkuk. Thank you for Christ and his death for us on the cross and your Holy Spirit indwelling us inspiring and creating in us faith, hope, and love, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I just ask, Lord, that we would walk by your spirit in faith in Christ to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.